0: If you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 3, as that's where we're going to be for uh, the start of this morning. Now, uh, for many people in our culture, if you mention the word church, uh, there's different ideas, there's different impressions and thoughts that come along with that word. Um, you, You only need to bring it up in conversation, and you're going to see some of the different reactions. So say tomorrow you go to work or to school, and you mention to somebody, you know what, I went to church yesterday, I went to church this past weekend, you're going to see some different reactions. Somebody might say, oh, I, I go to church as well, I, I attend pretty regularly, and when they say that, they, they mean it, they're there um, almost every Sunday, they're a member at a church regularly there. Somebody else might say, you know what, I attend regularly, and they might mean I attend regularly every Easter and every Christmas, I'm, I'm faithful in that, letting God know, I'm, I'm kind of still checked in that way. Um, some person might go, you know what, I, I went to church when I was a kid, my, my grandmother or my parents made me go, and so they have their ideas of what church might look like. Somebody might have never have gone to church, and they're curious of, of what church is all about. Uh, some people might hear that you go to church, and they might not say it, but they might kind of give you a look and, and kind of be like, you, people actually still do that these days, um, Somebody might go, you're not one of those Jesus weirdos, are you? Or something like that. You could get a reaction as people aren't sure. Um, some people might think that the church is, is good. It's, it's an institution that instills morals into our children. Uh, some people might look at it as an institution that uh, preys on the weak-minded. They might say that. They might say it's just after money. Some people would look at the church and say it's, it's abusive. And I, I think as, as the church globally we have to acknowledge that we don't have a perfect track record and that we have to apologize um, where, where error has been made. But we could go around this room even here, and we're going to get different ideas and impressions of what the church is. And so some people say oh, the church is a building. Other people would say it's an institution. Some people might say church is a, a time of worship. Uh, some people might say the church is a great cure for insomnia, like get my best naps on a Sunday morning or something like that. Um, you guys are allowed to laugh. I, I like it, give you permission. Um, some people might think the church is just this giant hoax, but but we we all have different impressions and ideas of what the church is made up from different experiences. Now, some of us may wonder, especially if we're new, what is this all about? What what is the church? Now, surprisingly, the Bible doesn't actually give a concise, specific definition for what the church is, but it presents it through metaphors and images. And so today I want to look at one of the the, the ways Jesus viewed the church, one of the primary ways that he viewed the church. And so we'll be in Mark chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 31, but I want to give some context for what's happening in Jesus' life up to this point. Uh, Jesus is well into his ministry. Things um, are, are pretty busy. He's chosen his 12 apostles. He's teaching the crowds. People are flocking to him because they see that he teaches with an authority unlike the other religious leaders of the day. And so as people are flocking to Jesus, they see that he's gaining influence, these religious leaders, and they don't like it. They perceive that he's a threat to them, and so they begin to plot how to kill him. And so at this point, Jesus' ministry schedule is pretty uh, intense. And we're going to see how intense it is in a few minutes here. But he's, he's kind of going non-stop at times. And so that's where we're going to jump in. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 31. It says this, Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them there was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now this is one of those texts that we read and just go like, Jesus says some pretty weird things at times, doesn't he? Like, you read that and you go, what, what is he talking about? Like, what, what is going on here? And so Jesus' mother and his half-brothers show up to a house where Jesus is teaching. And I say half-brothers because of this. Um, Jesus was born of Mary when she was a virgin and she conceived Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. But after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had other children. And so these are half brothers to Jesus, younger half brothers. And so they show up at this house in Mark chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 kind of tell us why. It says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And so this is how busy things can get for them. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Now, they're concerned for Jesus' well-being. That's why they show up. They think that his hectic schedule is beginning to take its toll on him. And maybe maybe there's a little bit of embarrassment um, to be associated with him going on here. They kind of want... To put it to an end, because John chapter 7, verse 5, it says that even Jesus's brothers at this time don't believe that he is the Messiah. Now, um, even though they don't believe he's the Messiah, maybe they think he's gone a little crazy, they would still uh, love him. Every family has at least one weird relative that, even though they're a little strange, you still love them. And you might be going, Well, my family doesn't have that relative. You might be that relative, but the good news is they probably still love you, um, so, so take solace in that. But picture this as an intervention by Jesus' mother and his brothers, a mother who loves his son and, and his half-brothers who love their brother. Yeah, even though they don't believe he's the Messiah, they still love him, and, and he would have been a good older brother to them. I, he, he would have been, like, the perfect brother. He's probably not beating them up for no reason. He's not, he's not annoying them. Like, the only downside I can see to having Jesus as your older brother is just being compared to him all the time. Like, why can't you be more like Jesus? He's, he's perfect. Like, just try and be more like your older brother. That might be the downside. But his family, they, they, they're going to get him. They don't want to cause a scene. And so they come to the house where Jesus is teaching, and they wait outside. They send a message inside to Jesus to say, Um, Your family's outside and they want to talk to you. And so when Jesus comes out, this is their thinking. They're probably going to say something like this. It's an intervention kind of thing. Jesus, we're worried about you. You're not eating well. You're not getting enough sleep. Um, You're making enemies with powerful people. This, This whole thing is kind of getting out of control. And so we want you to come home with us at least for a little while. But that's where it gets weird. Um, the person tells Jesus, your family is outside. And then Jesus responds, who is my, my mother? Who are my brothers? Essentially, who is my family? And this is, this is probably an awkward moment because nobody seems to speak up there. And maybe people are going, maybe the schedule is taking its toll on Jesus. Maybe he is actually starting to lose. Maybe this guy is actually crazy, like some of the rumors are saying. Now, what's going on here? Well, Jesus is a master teacher, and so he's seen his teaching opportunity, and he's taken it. Mark says that Jesus looks around in Matthew's gospel, said, Jesus um, kind of points, he, he uh, motions to those gathered around him, and he says this, These are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, that would probably be painful for his mother to hear, um, this probably does not hear, help his brother's worries about him, that, that he's kind of losing it, because the Jewish culture was far more uh, family-centered than we are in our Western culture. And so it seems like what Jesus is doing is he's, he's, um, he's putting aside his biological family in favor of his disciples as his closest family. And understand that this, this probably isn't easy for Jesus to say. Jesus is fully human. Um, he, he's, he's a son who loves his mother. He's grateful to her for everything that she's done. He's, he's loyal to her. But this is necessary because Jesus' first commitment will always be to his father, to God. And so when Jesus says things like this, it sounds like he's putting family relationships down, saying family isn't that important. That is not what Jesus is doing here. But what he's doing is he's, he's raising discipleship relationships up. The loyalties are are going up is what he's doing. He's not rejecting natural family, but he's emphasizing that there's a higher priority, actually, to spiritual relationship with those who believe in him. Now, we hear Jesus say things like what he just said in Mark chapter 3, and we go, man, Jesus lived at this extreme level uh, that I could never attain. Thank, thank goodness he doesn't call me to that, because I could not do that. But here's the thing. Jesus does call his disciples to high levels in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus says this, If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Um, so teachings like this tell us that our, our love for God are to um, take precedence over every other human relationship. And so this is kind of a hard teaching for many of us to hear. Um, it, it's hard because it hits close to home for every person. What Jesus is saying is that I need to love him. I need to love God more than I love my parents, than I love my siblings, than I love my wife, more than I love even my own children. I mean, that's, that's difficult. That is hard. It takes work and hard teachings like what Jesus says here is what caused some people to hear. Jesus would say things like this, and people would go, I'm out. Like, I, I can't do that. But if you go to the next verse, what does Jesus say in verse 38? If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Jesus calls us to some hard things. Look in Luke chapter 12, verses 51 and 53. Jesus says, do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's not a verse we tend to bring up a lot. You're not putting that one on bookmarks or on coffee mugs. It's not a feel-good verse verse, but, but this is what Jesus is saying. The gospel has this power to divide. Jesus is not saying that blood relatives are squeezed out of the life of a disciple altogether. He's not saying that, but what he is saying is that those who confess him as Lord and Savior, for those who confess them, that, that has the power to divide homes, families. It, it can cause the closest of relationships to come apart. We go, why? Because what Jesus is talking about, who Jesus is, it has eternal and, and spiritual um, significance and consequences. And the truth is that regardless of what family we've been born into, who we are, the only hope we have for eternal life is in Jesus Christ alone. And I, I know that hearing things like this, it, we wrestle with it. It's hard. I get it. Because... I mean, I've had conversations with people where they say, I don't know if I want to go to heaven if my family is not going to be there. In other words, I'd rather be anywhere with my family, like family sticking together, than in heaven without them for eternity. And so the thinking is, um, at least we will all be together wherever we end up. And so I just kind of want to look at this for a couple minutes Now, Scripture teaches us that every person is going to spend eternity in heaven or hell, one of two um, places. And so the only way for for people to get into heaven is through Jesus. Um, You choose Jesus, you enter the kingdom of God. Or you reject Jesus, or non-decision, you choose the alternative to what heaven is. And so, I'm not trying to be harsh when I say this, but family is not going to feel like family in hell. Um, James chapter 1 verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift, the good gift of family, that, that comes from God. And so whatever we enjoy here on earth with family, that, that can't be enjoyed in hell because hell is not filled with God's presence. God is not present in hell, and so you will not be able to enjoy that. And so the only hope for families is beyond this life, is with Christ. And to reject salvation for the sake of a family member is like rejecting the cure for a disease that you know is going to kill you. And the basis of that decision is that you had a family member who said, no, I don't want the cure. And so because they said that, you decide you don't want the cure. It, It doesn't make sense. And Jesus says things in Scripture like nothing is worth forfeiting your soul for. And so who we we say Jesus is, it will, will cause division in families. We just got to acknowledge that. But fierce loyalty to family without fierce loyalty to Christ doesn't make any sense. Because again, the only hope for any sense of family beyond this life is in Jesus alone. And so what do you do if you are a Christian and your family members aren't? Well, you pray for your family members' salvation daily. Um, you definitely don't cut them out of your lives. Jesus does not say that. You you actually invest more time into those relationships. Um, you look for opportunities to share your faith, but like, don't be bludgeoning them over the head with Bible verses and stuff like that. Like if if you see them something doing, you go like, ah, you know what God says about greed, or if they're having like loving money. You don't go, ah, the love of money is the root of all evil. You don't be doing stuff like that, but instead um, you look for opportunities to share your faith. You respect their wishes and the boundaries that they set when it comes to speaking about faith, but you let them know that you are always there to talk, be available and ready to serve them. But the truth is they're going to have to decide who Jesus is, and we can't force that. And the hard reality is that that not every person will accept him as Lord and Savior. But as long as they are alive, there's still hope. And so you keep working towards that and praying for it. Now in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mothers, or father, or children, or property for my sake and for the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution, and in the world, and the world to come, that person will have eternal life. And so a Christian never gives anything up for Jesus and the sake of his kingdom without God making restoration in, in a multiplied and new and better way. And on this side of the eternity, what we tend to do is we focus on what we're losing for the kingdom of God. That's our perspective we're like oh look what I'm giving up. But notice what Jesus is saying the church is first and foremost a family, it's it's not an institution. And Jesus is not using a metaphor here. Metaphors um, compare something. Metaphors say what something is like. But Jesus is not saying the church is like a family. Jesus is saying the church is a family. A family that is large and diverse. A family that is made up of those who want what God wants. And so Mark chapter 3 is not about loss. It's actually primarily about gain. Now if you've had a good earthly life with family, praise God for that. I've had that. I've been blessed that way but something i have to keep in mind when i read scriptures like this is that my experience is not every person's experience my story is not every person's story. And so in the church, Jesus is saying things like this. The orphan has a father. The one who is ignored by family now has family to care for them. The widow is not left alone. The only child has brothers and sisters. The one who was unloved is now loved. A Christian no longer thinks of their blood relatives, whether they were good or bad relatives. That's all I've got. The Christian's family has drastically expanded. And so God's family is far more united um, than any earthly family because the blood that unites this family, the blood of Jesus, is far more powerful than any DNA ever will be. And because of who you believe Jesus to be, you have more in common with another disciple than you do with any person, Christian or not, or family member or not, who does not believe in Christ. You share the same values, priorities, allegiances, and above all, future hope. And so we can look at any Christian around the world and go, that is my brother. That is my sister, regardless of their language, their culture, wherever they come from. And so the church is first and foremost a family. And you see this. In the Gospels, what does Jesus call God the most? His Father. When he teaches us to pray, he invites us into that relationship. He tells us to pray to our Father in heaven. If you read beyond the book of Acts, you're actually going to notice that the word disciple begins to disappear. And it's, it's replaced with familial language or terms. Infants, little children, young men, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. Now our culture, we have transitioned to what social scientists call radical American individualism, and so we are fiercely independent in our culture. Um, we don't want to have to rely on other people. We want to be able to make it on our own. And even um, us as, as Christians in the church, were affected by this as, as well. Uh, we speak of faith almost as this exclusively personal thing, and so faith threatens to become an I, not an us. It's a my God, not an our God concern. And if you read the New Testament, though, you, you can't help but see like, that the faith is not just you and God. It is, it is God and his family. And in calling his, his disciples his brother and sister and mother, what Jesus is saying to us is that our commitment to one another needs to be on the same level, if not greater, as blood relatives are committed to one another here on earth. And this is something that we, in in the Western church, um, we struggle with, I think, Um, especially with the breakdown of families. I think we struggle to understand this. But read through Scripture, and you're going to see things like this. Be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another honor one another, live in harmony with one another, instruct one another, greet one another, serve one another in love, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, do not lie to each other, bear, teach, admonish, encourage, build up one another, pray for one another, and the one that probably gets the repeated the absolute most, love one another. And Andy Stanley, he says, the primary activity of the early church was one anothering one another there are over 71 another statements in the New Testament. They call the family of God to unity, to humility, and to love. And you can't read through the New Testament and get this idea that kind of this lone ranger, individualistic Christian can be living out what God intends for them. Now, my guess is that for many of us here, the church doesn't necessarily feel like a family. Um, It probably feels more like when you get gas or groceries or your regular morning coffee. And what I mean by that is this. You go to these places, and you have your routines. We're kind of creatures of habit. You, you get your groceries at the same place, probably almost the same time every week. You fill up your car, same place. You get your coffee, probably same time every day, same place. Um, and you see your, your your servers, your attendants, or your baristas, whatever, regularly. And you might know them kind of like, ah, I recognize you. You might know their name. It might be surface-level conversation. But you don't really get to know them. Now, you might be going you're wrong about me because I pay at the pump and I use an app to order my coffee just so I don't have to talk to other people. Um, but what I'm saying is the church might feel more like that to you. You see the same people at the same time during the week, it, more like that than it does a family. It, it can be pretty superficial. Again, Andy Stanley, he says this, when everyone is sitting in rows, you can't do any one another's. And the church is more than us just getting together here on Sunday morning um, for some songs and to hear from the Bible. The church is more than a Sunday morning routine. A few months ago, the mother of one of our uh, members of our congregation, Sue Nesto, um, her mother passed away after a short season of illness. And while it was kind of short, it was not an easy season for her, for her husband Marcus, or or for the family. Um, And that was for several reasons. But the memorial service was held here uh, at the church. And so I came by uh, a little bit early because I was taking care of some of the technology stuff. And when I arrived, um, there was already quite a few members of our congregation here. And they'd cleared all the chairs out of here off to the side. They had set up tables. Um, They were really well set up. The chairs were out there. They were making tea and coffee. They were setting out the food um, for those people who were coming uh, to remember Sue's mother And they had done a really good job. Sue's mother was from England, and so they had some food that we just don't often get here. It was really, really good. Um, But with Sue's permission, I just want to share a few lines from an email that she wrote about that day um, and the time surrounding it. She said, The church family was my only family in the sense of love and support that I had there that day. And I am truly grateful for the great deal of love and support that I did get. Even if the love and support came in the form of a dozen homemade biscuits, I felt very loved. And You can kind of understand from that, that email that the family relationships, blood relationships, there was some difficulty that day. And I just remember after everybody had left, most of the people from the church who had helped serve that day were sitting around a table. And I just remember Marcus, Sue's husband, kind of saying, like, this is our family. And this is is what the church is. We we are a family. This is what we do. And we've seen this many times within our church um, at weddings, births, funerals. From simple things like an encouraging note or a card at the right time. Conversations to check up on one another. Life groups, helping out members who are in the hospital. uh, Furniture being given to those who are in need. Financial help to those being given in need. Having one another over in our homes. Meals for the sick or the struggling. And I could keep going. Now some of us will still go, the church does not feel like family to me the church won't feel like family to you until you begin to treat it like it is family. It just won't. Um, when you act like family, you begin to feel that it is family. And so if you're, you're wondering what that's like, if you want to experience that, I want to give you a very simple step, and I hope you'll take it. Um, join a life group this semester. Just just try it if you have not done it before. And I'm not saying that at the end of the semester, you're going to walk up and laugh like, this is my brother Bill, and here's Sister Stacy. You're not necessarily going to be on the level where you walk into their home, open up their fridge, and go, what you got to eat? Um, You you might not even like every person in your life group because like every family on earth, God's family has some weird, annoying, (laughs) fallible people within it. But... This may be your first step towards knowing others and knowing or being known in the church. Um, It may be your first step towards the uh, the church feeling like family and not just part of your Sunday morning routine. And so if you want to join a group, you can go to HalifaxChristianChurch.ca. There will be a link that will take you to a page that shows um, all the groups we have available. You can see them by location, by demographic, by study. We have 12 different groups that you can choose from. If you're, again, not technologically inclined, you you prefer pen to paper, go to the Welcome Center and you'll see what's uh, available there. But in your groups, um, even if you have been in a group for a long time, this is not your first time, I want to encourage you to practice those one another statements of Scripture. Um, Spend time together. Don't treat them just like a casual acquaintance, but try and treat them as family. Even if they drive you nuts, you love them because they are family. There was a young woman who was visiting Alaska one summer, and she had family up there that she, she was just spending time with. And so she wanted to get out and explore the beauty of the state. And so she asked her cousin who lived there, um, where are some great places to go hiking? And so her cousin suggested a few places. And so this young woman then asked her most important question, what about the bears? Uh, I've, I've heard that people have been attacked quite a bit out here while hiking. And so her cousin replied, well, people are usually attacked when they go by themselves. And that's what happened uh, to a woman last week. She was out running by herself, and she got between a mama bear and her cub, and the mama bear attacked and so this young woman, she replied to her cousin, you know what, we don't need to go hiking. We can just stay inside. We, we don't need to do that. But her cousin said, we are safer if we go together. The young woman and her cousin ended up going hiking, and they had a great time. They saw evidence of bear activity, but they, weren't, they didn't see any bears. They enjoyed it, um, and they got to see the beauty of the creation. Now, there aren't bears out there in our everyday lives. But Jesus tells us that there are wolves who are seeking to destroy us. That Satan and his forces are out there trying to distract us with temptation. And Jesus says we are like sheep. Even our our own sin can lead us astray. We can get stuck in things and we can't get out on our own. And so we need brothers and sisters to watch out for us. And God does not give you the church simply as this place to go. But he's given you a family to belong to a family to to be loved by, a family to love. And what is it Jesus says? Does he say the world will know you are my disciples by your faithful and regular church attendance? Or does he say the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another?